Are you offering your clients the experience they really want? Or are you offering them what you think they want? Join hosts Laura Gregg and David Partain from FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds as they talk with a variety of industry experts and advisors, just like you, about their latest industry research to help you develop the flexible mindset you need to rise above the crowd. Hello, and welcome to the Flexible Advisor Podcast. I'm Laura Gregg, and I am joined with my co-host, David Partain. So, David, are you ready to dig into some more data today? Hello, Laura. I am ready, and I love being with fellow nerds. <laughs> Do not insult our guest. Um, <laughs> on the Flexible Advisor, we seek to invite guests that will provide unique insights and actionable ideas for advisors that want to fine-tune or grow their business all while deepening client relationships. And I am really excited about our guest today, Dr. Miranda Ryder, who's been conducting race, gender, and diversity research around how and why consumers choose to work with financial advisors. This, of course, overlaps so nicely with FlexShare's ongoing consumer and advisor research on the topic of building diverse advisory teams and the importance of advisor diversity to consumers. So a little bit about Dr. Ryder. She is an assistant professor of financial planning at Texas Tech University. She has worked as a financial planner and a banker at several Fortune 500 firms, including Raymond James, USAA, Regions, and Wells Fargo. And she created her own financial planning firm in 2013 called She and Money Financial to help women take control of their finances, build their confidence, and create a solid financial plan. And if that isn't enough, in addition, she has taught at the University of South Florida, Kansas State University, Hillsborough Community College, as well as in France and the Ivory Coast. My word, I'm exhausted. Her financial advice has been quoted in popular media outlets such as the BBC, U.S. News, USA Today, and Forbes. And of course, with all that comes recognition for her work. Just a few of the accolades in 2020, Omicron New Research Fellowship. Yeah, also in 2020, Center for Financial Security Junior Scholar, University of Wisconsin-Madison. And then in 2019, Financial Planning Association Best Research Award and 40 Under 40 Award from Investment News. Holy cow, we are very lucky to have you, Miranda. We are thrilled to have you join us on the Flexible Advisor today to talk about what you've learned about the factors that go into the selection of financial advisors, and thank you for joining us. Thank you so, so very much for having me. It's an honor, and I am so excited about the research that you all are doing, that FlexShare is doing it. You know, I remember a time when it was very difficult to find research in this topic area. So I am thrilled when I see companies like yours delving into this and really giving us some good data. That's great. Well, not to be too creepy, but I have to tell you, Laura was so excited when she was able to make contact with you. So <laughs> you kind of had to figure out, you go on LinkedIn, you, you did some creeping stuff. So. <laughs> 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 well, Miranda, you have a very interesting background in financial services. Just, we'll start off by tell us a little bit about your journey and what led you ultimately to Texas Tech. Sure. So, you know, this is me kind of going back 20 years. So I'll try to be as concise as possible. <laughs> but I finished undergrad 
almost 20 years ago. And right after graduating, I got this awesome opportunity to work in financial services in this management associate program for a regional bank, AmSouth at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'd majored in, double majored in international business and French, but we were in the throes of the uh, war with Iraq. Um, France wasn't very friendly with us about that. I don't know if you remember that moment about freedom fries. It's like, Mm -hmm. let's not call them French fries. Let's call them freedom fries. I mean, (laughs) it wasn't, we we weren't friendly. And being a, a rather, you know, small town girl in a way from Mississippi, I, I just, wasn't sure about going to France. And so I went the safe route, got into financial services, and that absolutely changed my life because it's where I learned about financial planning for the first time. I became licensed. I started investing myself. I learned about the CFP designation and had a mentor who was a CFP probably when I was about 22 or 23. But while this was a great opportunity About three years in, I became discontent with the environment that I was in, in terms of the selling environment. I had moved to another bank. I had become a branch manager. I was about 25 years old. I had 12 employees and you know, we were on the precipice of the mortgage um, collapse, right? And so we were doing a lot of business around second mortgages. So you can imagine mm. that there was a lot of pressure around that. And I just didn't think that the sales culture was true to me. I wanted to give people financial education and help them, but I felt like I couldn't do it in on my own terms in the in the environment that I was in. So I learned about this opportunity to go to France and teach English for the French Ministry of Education and I took it. And so that kind of started my path into education. I stayed in France for a year. I came back to the United States and worked into worked in education. I got my masters and and I worked for several more years in education. Meanwhile, I was I was missing this finance piece of me, you know, and I started to think I would really love to combine finance and education and financial planning is really just that. And so I started to sit for my CFP exam while I was still working in education. I then left that college and went to work for a couple of the firms, started my practice. And then, you know, while I was in the throes of financial planning at these firms, in my firm, I started to have questions. I started to think like, particularly at this, my first financial planning firm, I was like, well, why aren't there so many women here? Why am I the only black female financial advisor in this branch? That was strange to me. And I wanted to have some answers. There was a guy who'd worked at this office as the shoeshine person. It was a, it was a headquarters for the financial planning firm that I was working with. So it was large. And he said, you're the first black planner that I've ever seen in this office in 25 years. I I wonder why was that? And so I started to have these questions. I also had questions about why did women clients seem to have different thoughts and feelings and emotions around money versus the male clients. So all these questions started to lead me toward this path of pursuing a PhD. And that's when I realized, okay, I really want to get some answers to these questions that I'm having about my financial planning environment. I love the work that I'm doing, but there are some things that need to be figured out here. And the PhD was a path to do that. And so work through the PhD, 
got an offer to work at Texas Tech, which, you know, as you know, has one of the best programs in the country. And so it was a no brainer. Wow. I love that. And as you were talking, Miranda, it reminded me of another podcast we did a while ago with a a woman named Rita Robbins. And she uh, remembered a time when the big firms, you know, 20, 25 years ago, would only allow one female broker per branch. Like that was the rule at the time, probably unwritten, but how she presents it, everybody knew that was the rule. The research work that we've done at FlexShares has included a lot around that that thought process and how do we bring new people into this industry? Uh, You know, we've all been talking about the shortage of advisors. And of course, I've, I've admired, as David alluded to before, all the great work that Texas Tech has done with their financial planning program over the years and the pipeline of great new talent that they provide. I mean, that program is consistently number one in the nation. Oh, so- Miranda, you don't know. You don't know how often she talks about Texas Tech. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, when I got the the form showing that you had downloaded our research, I was more than a little excited. And so, you know, again, while there's been a lot of discussion on the topic of diversity, equity, and inclusion within the advisory space, you know, we agree there really hasn't been much research done. So I'm hoping you can tell us about some of your research that you've conducted, how you found your sample set and the kind of the key themes that have emerged. Sure. So I want to say that probably my biggest project this up to this point has been my dissertation. You know, when I entered the PhD program in 2015, you know, I was just really interested in a lot of different things related to diversity, gender and race and financial planning. But for my dissertation, I decided to focus on racial and gender preferences when hiring a financial planner. So, you know, there's a lot of talk out there that says that people want to work with those who look like them. And that's why one of the reasons why we need to diversify our profession And I was curious to know, and I'm still curious to understand, you know, how true that is. Is that really how we are? But I couldn't, like you you said, Laura, I couldn't find a lot in the literature that had been done on this, especially when we're talking about race. There was some work um, that was done in 2013 by a Swedish researcher that found some, some interesting connections with gender you know, but again, she she found that, you know, individuals thought that female advisors might be a riskier move to take if hiring a financial planner. And she looked at some other aspects, but there, you know, this was Sweden and there was no talk about race. And so anyway, when I decided to to embark on this research, I used Amazon's Mechanical Turk, which is a online panel that is in over, you know, a hundred countries. It has a lot of respondents available, but I created an experiment using almost 800 black and white consumers living in the United States. And essentially what I did for this experiment, I mean, there are so many different ways that this could have been done, but I decided to, in a survey style, to randomize these respondents into a scenario, a hypothetical financial planner scenario. And so the advisor they could have gotten could have been either a a black female, a white female, a white male, or a black male. And they were presented with this scenario that said something to the effect of, 
you've received or inherited uh, money from a life insurance payout from a financial planner who has passed, you have an opportunity to work with a financial planner. Below are some details about this financial planner. And so the name of the financial planner was given, which was a way to convey their race, their age, their experience. They had 15 years of experience. They're 45 years old. They're really well educated. They are a CFP. They are really ethical. They've won awards. And they're going to give you, you know, they've given you up to this point some very generic advice that follows the CFP board standards of just, you know, kind of like establishing the relationship, gathering information, that type of thing. So there was no specific advice given in the scenario. So basically, you know, the idea is that this person sees, okay, I have this planner named Tanisha Washington, and they're pretty accomplished. And here's the advice they're giving me about this $250,000. They're going to monitor my plan. They're going to put me in some investments that's suitable to my needs. What do I think about this planner? And that was just kind of the basic scenario. And so these 800 respondents had to all answer questions about their specific advisor. And so a few of the measures that they were asked about was trust, likelihood to hire the planner based on the scenario and what they knew, and the likelihood to take the planner's advice. And so there were some interesting outcomes from from this research. So really, I was trying to understand, you know, do black consumers want black planners? Do white consumers want white white planners? Do white consumers trust white planners more? These are the type of things that I was trying to see in this in this research. So interestingly, there there was not any indication in this study that consumers were making these decisions based on race. Again, nobody said, you know, I'm good. I, you know, as a white person, I'm trusting the white planner more, or as a black person, I'm trusting the black planner more. As a matter of fact, black consumers and white consumers didn't even have a different level of trust. However, consumers were more likely to trust the female financial planners than the male planners. And female planners had higher levels of trust. When it came to taking advice, no racial indications, but female respondents were more likely to take financial advice. And in terms of likelihood to hire the planner, there were no racial preferences, but all consumers preferred to hire the female planner. So very interesting findings. So we need more females, right? (laughs) That's what the research seems to indicate. (laughs) So, so we've just completed our second study in 2019. And, and, you know, as you probably know, every time you do a survey, there are learnings like for the next time you go out, you know, what would you do differently? How would you rearrange questions or what new questions would you ask? And so in 2019, we, we surveyed about 200 consumers but we didn't put metrics in place to make sure we had a representative view of U.S. demographics. So the the sample of consumers in 2019 were mainly white and, you know, I think our our black and brown sample was under, you know, it was like one and a half percent. So almost, you know, immaterial in that. So this year when we went out, we, we wanted to make sure that we met all of the, the demographics that, that we mapped that to the U.S. population. So about 60% white consumers, about 13.5% black consumers, a little under 20% Latinx and, and so on. So 
that was, you know, a good learning for us. But and what we found this year from our consumer survey was that the age of the advisor was actually the number one factor in terms of hiring uh, an advisor. The the age group uh, between ages forty one and fifty is the sweet spot, and the as the the ages skewed younger in the consumer, it was more in that forty. 40-year-old range. And as as the people were older, it was more in that 50-year-old range, but it was, you know, squarely in that decade. And then, you know, second, it was gender and, you know, race was, you know, a, a consideration for about a third of the set. And then about 30% said that sexual orientation played a part. And one of the things we did find, which came to mind as you were just talking, is that the women, and I am still digging through this data, but that the, the women, a lot of things just didn't matter to them, to the female consumers. You know, the sexual orientation didn't seem to matter, but it did to more so for the male consumers and race as well. You know, other than age, that was the big thing. So I'm, I'm wondering what else you might have uncovered in terms of the most desired characteristics that your consumers were looking for in choosing an advisor. Yeah, so I find that all interesting what you just mentioned there in terms of, you know, trying to thread out what are some key factors, you know, is it race, is it gender, is it sexual orientation, what's most important. This dissertation didn't highlight um, or didn't ask those types of questions. I was really trying to get away from if I asked those questions, maybe they would figure out what the research was really about. I think I did a good job in terms of trying to shelter them from like, this is just a planner, give me your advice. That was the goal at least. But there's a different study I'm working on where I'm investigating those those very questions. But what we know in the research, when we look at, you know, what's important to consumers, there's there's all sorts of things I think that we know about what's important and from cost and fee structure to credentials to there's research that's found that friendliness is important, usefulness of advice, social information. There's one research that even looked at facial appearance without regard to race. He used all males in his study, but found that even facial appearance is important. But I think that when when, when we look at the academic research, trust is probably the, the most common theme that I see as being important. So what's interesting about thinking about gender, race, sexual orientation, it's it's I I feel like it's a it's a very complex question in terms of what's important because while someone might think I want to work with a planner that looks like me in any of those characteristics, if they don't trust them, then I think that that gender or race could become a secondary requirement for that consumer. So thank you for that. You know, another thing that we've seen in our research, both in 2019 and 2021, is a difference in what consumers tell us they'll do or what they're seeking or what their preferences and what it is that they actually do. So for example, when we asked investors in 2019 whether diversity of their advisory team was important, it almost felt like all we were getting were politically correct answers. Only talent matters. and But we kept asking the same question in, in different ways. And ultimately, we asked who they hired, who they were working with on the, the advisor front. And what we found most notably on the gender side was that women who said that 
it didn't matter, were actually in 2019, four times as more likely than men to be working with a female advisor. And in this latest survey, that moved up to being five times as likely. And while Black and Latinx consumers expressed an interest in the race of their advisor, it was a much less important factor, it seems, than the preference in race expressed by white consumers in, in both studies. And, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if, if that part of it is a byproduct of the sheer number of white male advisors we have in this industry, that there isn't a lot of different choices. I'm curious what your research shows or, or just what you think about that. And are you seeing a disconnect in terms of what consumers say they want in an advisor versus who they actually hire? Right. So I think this is a really excellent point. I do feel like there are some seemingly disconnects when you ask people what they want and what they end up doing. And this reminds me of some research that I remember seeing during during my dissertation phase and trying to collect data and seeing that, you know, looking at females, they they only 10% of them said that they had a gender preference. When they looked at Hispanic or Latinx and Blacks, really a very, I want to say like 11% said that they had a preference for financial planners that looked like them. But what was important was that the firm had diversity initiatives and that they did have these planners of color, whether regardless of whether that was their planner or not. So it sounds like what you found is consistent with research that I have also uh, come across in the industry. I, I also think that this element that you mentioned of what is what's available in the market. Well, if you don't even, you, you know, if you close your eyes and you know are walking around to financial planning offices, the chances that you're going to stumble upon uh, a white male. Uh, financial planner is just very high, right? So I do think that that also plays a role. People might want these things. If you're if you're black and you want a black advisor, tough nuggies, right? But if you're a white person and you want to work with a white planner, I think you have a great shot shot to be working with who you want to work with. For women, of course, they're kind of like in the middle. It's it's certainly improving, but it 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 also is a little bit difficult because you know twenty three percent I want to say in terms of CFP designated planners are, are women. So I think it's it's complex. The other thing that we know is that the way that people end up finding their advisor is through who they know. And here in the United States, there's a high level of racial and ethnic homogeneity in our close circles. So consumers may inadvertently hire planners who are like them and their friends without even giving much thought to it, if that makes sense. And so I think that very common practice of hiring financial planners based on referrals also has something to do with this. Yeah. And, you know, in our, our study, we also so find that as advisors, advisory firms are looking for new talent, the, the first place they go is actually to their own personal and social network. So, you know, it's unlikely you're going to get to uh, diversity that way. But, you know, switching gears a little bit, you know, I really think the pandemic has personally, per permanently, I should say, changed so many things. We all clearly learned that work can be done virtually and done well 
And I know you said you, you moved to Texas right as the pandemic came. So you've only worked virtually in your role at Texas Tech. But, you know, I'm curious to see if this adoption of virtual engagement will impact how consumers choose their advisors going forward. Do you think that consumers will begin to more frequently look outside their geographies to find an advisor that is the right fit culturally in terms of their and in terms of the offerings that they're seeking? Yeah. I I mean, I'm really excited about when I think about this. When I started my practice back in 2013, this is exactly the platform that I had. And there weren't too many other people doing it. I feel like I was trying to reach out to others who were doing it to get advice on on how I need to be successful in having a virtual financial planning firm that was geared towards women. And so I found some, um, but again, there were not a lot. Fast forward, you know, eight years, and there are tons of financial planners with these virtual practices. And I absolutely believe that this is going to only help consumers find who they're wanting to work with. And I think more specifically, I feel like the younger generation is going to connect with this a little bit more. I do think that there are people who um, still are going to want to go into an office and see their advisor face-to-face because of that trust issue. You know, but I, I do think that this virtual world of financial planning does offer, you know, opportunities as it relates to diversity on a, on a lot of different levels. So I'm excited about what this can do. I actually think that this can can also be kind of a leveling field for for advisors. You know, you don't have to m- maybe necessarily guess so much about who you're working with when, you know, everything about them is on the internet. So, so yeah, I, I absolutely do think that this is this is going to be a new way for people to find that culturally, you know, concordant advisor or gender concordant or whatever they're looking for. So, Miranda, I'd add to that discussion of hiring virtually outside of a consumer's geography based on something we found in our FlexShares research, and we asked consumers about the importance of a high-quality digital experience with their advisor, and we got back 27% said they required a high-quality digital experience, and 50% said it was important. Clearly, this data does back up the idea that consumers no longer need to be able to drive to their advisor's office in order to conduct business. So I'm curious how this digital requirement is being addressed in the financial planning programs in which you've participated. Is this part of the core curriculum? And if not, should it be? Yes. Yeah, so here at Texas Tech, we, you know, we have bachelor's, master's, and PhD programs in financial planning. Mm-hmm. And at our bachelor and master's levels, it is it is a required technology is a required uh, course within the curriculum, and it shows up in our technology course as well as in several other courses that students have to take. So last semester, I taught retirement planning. Students had to use technology in that course, mm-hmm. Money Guide Pro, you know, which is something that, you know, that is commonly used in the field. And then this semester, I ta- taught wealth management. Students were uh, using Money Guide Pro as well as Morningstar desktop. And, and so the students here at Texas Tech have access to, I was counting them this morning, they have access to at least 16 different technology programs. And so I, I think that's fantastic because they're going to be really well positioned to serve to serve clients when they get out there in, in these jobs. And, and I, I totally agree. I, I, I 
I think that technology allows a planner to do our jobs better. And so it's, 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 it's great to see that clients are also, you know, receptive to technology in this way. Yeah, that's, uh, I totally agree with you. I appreciate the fact that in your studies that the, the college students get to actually use the tools that they would use in their professional life. That's really cool. Well, Miranda, it has been such an interesting conversation today. If you couldn't tell, Laura and I love talking about research, and it sounds like you do too. So given your research and years of expertise, what advice would you give a financial advisor that wants to make themselves more appealing to prospective consumers? And how important, in your opinion, is it to target a niche you want to serve? Yeah, I think that's a, a wonderful question. And David, I have my you know diversity hat on here, and I, I guess I always have the hat on. So if I think about being appealing to clients, I think there's a lot of things that um, advisors can do. But I will tell you that I've had advisors come up to me at conferences and they know, you know, I'm going to about to speak about diversity and they'll say, you know, it really keeps me up at night. I don't, I want to diversify my staff or I want to diversify my clients and I don't really know how. And so in, in just speaking to that specific, you know, request to being appealing to clients who might be different from your, the bulk, normal bulk of, of your clients, I, I would say this. So Cultural competency, I think, is is becoming something that is moving more to the forefront as we're thinking about diversifying the client base. I recently spoke at the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors on cultural competency for financial planners who serve diverse clients. And when we think about cultural competency, there's a lot of ways to uh, define or explain it. But I would say, in short, that it is understanding historical and cultural influences that are the foundation of human beings, the experiences that they have, particularly in diverse groups. It's being able to act on that understanding. It's being able to acknowledge cultural assumptions and biases and to make changes in your thought and behavior to address those biases. And so where I'm going with this is I think that if there are advisors who are out there and they're listening to this and they're what they want to do is to diversify their client base. I don't want to make it sound like it's difficult because it's not. But I would say that go where diverse prospects are going to be. You can't go to the same places and expect to get something different, right? So go to those places where people that are different are going to be. And once you've got some of those clients coming into your office, because we know that due to the improved economic situation of a lot of different groups in this country, you know, particularly thinking of Latinx, Black Americans, Asian Americans, when we think about their, their improved financial situations, there's going to be more of those individuals that are going to be becoming our clients as time moves on. So once you get those clients, I think it's important to consider cultural competency that you're really understanding them as a whole person. And they're going to appreciate that because a lot of those individuals 
may not be getting that in their other service relationships. And that could be with, you know, doctors, uh, lawyers, research shows us that, that there's biases that professionals have. And so they will appreciate you having this cultural competency. And so, again, I think that when they recognize that you're that cultural competent advisor, you're going to be able to attract more of that business. They're going to tell people about you. And I absolutely do think that niches are wonderful because they can be helpful in attracting clients easier, quicker. But I also have to say, I've seen people build successful practices without having a niche. It just takes, I think, more work. But whatever mm-hmm. the niche is, I, I think that you know it's important to just speak to that group directly. And um, it may not, you know, particularly if you're first starting out, it may not get results of overnight. It won't get results overnight, but eventually, whatever it is, if it's diverse clients, if it's a uh, business owners, whatever it is, people will start to talk about you because you focus on on them and their concerns. Wow, great advice. And what a wonderful data-filled session we had today. And it has been a true delight to have you on the podcast. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to talk to other individuals who actually care about this research. (laughs) So I'm delighted. It was great. Well, if you are an advisor and would like to know more about Dr. Ryder, you can find her research on Google Scholar, and that's scholar.google.com. So you go there, and by typing her name, and you spell her name R-E-I-T-E-R. You can also find her on LinkedIn, Miranda Ryder. If you like this podcast, you may also like the other FlexShares podcast called Funds in Focus. Check it out today, and you will find it wherever you get your podcasts. For myself and Laura Gregg, we want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us on today's episode of The Flexible Advisor. Thank you for listening to The Flexible Advisor podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds or Northern Trust. All investments involve risk, including possible loss of principal. Before investing, carefully consider the FlexShares investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus and a summary prospectus, copies of which may be obtained by visiting www.flexshares.com. Read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Foresight Fund Services, LLC Distributor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Although we attempt to keep the information complete and current, we do not warrant that the content herein is accurate, complete, or current. We make no commitment to update the content herein. It is your responsibility to verify any information before relying on it. The content of this podcast may include technical inaccuracies. We may make changes in the products and or services described herein at any time. We provide you this information with the understanding that we are not rendering accounting, legal, or tax advice. Please consult your legal or tax advisor concerning such matters.